This is Evermore Poe, the turbulent youth of Edgar Allan Poe. Chapter 43 The winter of 1824 was as cold and dark inside the Allen home as it was outside. After their epic altercation, something had changed forevermore between Eddie and John, each feeling the victim of an unprovoked attack. In fact, on these bleak winter days, everyone in the house on 14th and Tobacco Alley seemed to keep to themselves. Without the required paperwork, Father Courtney had had no choice but to give Juliet's ticket to Africa away. Thankfully, her sale to Mr. Covey in Mount Misery had been delayed until spring. Eddie was so happy to have Juliet nearby just a little bit longer. He still dreamed of ways to run away north with her, although he was finally beginning to recognize that that was more of a fantasy than it was a reality. He tried writing poems to express how much Juliet still meant to him, but they always ended up in a ball on the floor. It was too painful to try and make amends and Eddie longed for his nights of laughter around the fire, which had become only a memory. With Burke's school out for the winter session, Eddie spent his days with his friend Nez at Mrs. Burling's tavern, or in his room dreaming up stories of love, loss, and revenge. No one knew he had another secret notebook, the one where Eddie could unleash his deepest, most sensual fantasies of Jane, pouring out his heart and soul and devouring her beauty while never, ever worrying about judgment from others or her rejection. He had long given up writing the poems about Juliet because they always forced him to reckon with what he had done to her, and that simply hurt too much. Fantasizing about Jane was another story. Despite the fact he hadn't seen her in a month, Eddie invited Jane into his imagination nightly. It was easier to meet her in his dreams than it was to brave the climb all the way to Court End to knock on the standard door. Eddie ruminated on the memory of their sexually charged last meeting until the first thaw when he swore he'd make a move. Until then, his imagination would have to suffice. Eddie spent the better part of a blustery afternoon at a local bookshop where he was catching up on the rebellious antics of his idol, Lord Byron. He found inspiration in thumbing his nose at the way things had always been, exploits with the opposite sex, and breaking athletic records. On his way home, a bitter wind nipped at his ears. He looked forward to a cup of whatever hot, delicious beverage Juliet made on days like these. So Eddie was entirely caught off guard when he came face to face in the kitchen with a complete stranger. She was a stout-looking, middle-aged slave. Uh, hello? Where's Juliet? He asked. I don't know no Juliet. I'm Tun, said the woman. Oh, uh, pleasure to meet you, Tun. Might you tell me where my ma is? Lady, the house is in her room. All right, then. Thank you so much. Um... What did you say your name was again? Eddie tried to warm the woman up. Ton, she answered matter-of-factly. Eddie went upstairs to tell his foster mother that he was home. He found her crying. But rather than interrupt her, he quietly closed the door and went to find Aunt Nancy. She might have some answers, her penchant for gossip coming in handy. He needed only to follow the somber tune playing on the spinet in the parlor downstairs. When Eddie rounded the corner, Nancy stopped cold and stared blankly at him in silence, and finally, without a word, looked back at her keyboard and resumed playing the song. Completely baffled, 
Eddie went to his room. There, placed neatly on his pillow, was a crisp, fresh note. It read, Dear Eddie, by the time you receive this letter, I shall have already left. I agonized over whether to say goodbye in person. However, as a condition of the arrangement, I was forbidden from doing so. This morning, only after you left to go wherever it is that you go, Eddie, your pa, Mr. Allen, gave me the good news, providing me with my official documents, signed in turn by Mr. Ellis. That's right, Eddie. I have received my freedom. I may not be privy to your conversation with Mr. Allen, but I am eternally grateful for it clearly set into motion that which finds me an emancipated woman today. This glorious news comes with not a moment to spare, for I have discovered that another ship, Cyrus Company, will, in fact, depart from City Point, Virginia, just tomorrow morn. I hope you will forgive my haste with such an impersonal goodbye. Already I have said my salutations to the Allens and to Miss Valentine. The kindness your family has shown me these past few years will remain with me always, if only all of my experiences had been such. Nevertheless, dear Eddie, it is you whom I have to thank thee most. Your friendship, trust, and your gloriously vivid stories have, without a doubt, given me strength and a smile all these years. Whilst mere words cannot fully express my thanks, I shall hold you in my heart, Eddie. Forevermore, I am Juliet Ellis, 9 January, 1824. Eddie felt sick. His head began to spin. He stood there for a moment, a day, a lifetime, before something shook him back into the moment. Then he bolted down the hall to Ma's bedroom. This time, she looked over her shoulder. I have to say goodbye, Ma, he said, walking over. I know, she whispered, wiping the last tear away. Here, she continued, take this. Francis handed him a small purse, sitting on a nightstand. There's money in there. Use what you need, but give the rest to Juliet, including the purse. Her lip quivered. And please, tell Juliet I miss her already. Eddie kissed his ma on the cheek and ran down the front stairs two at a time. He hit the landing with such a thud that Miss Nancy missed a key on the piano. Let it go, Eddie. She's gone. But Nancy's words trailed into the ether as he grabbed his coat and fled out the front door towards the stagecoach office. From her window, Frances watched Eddie running. She smiled, wishing she only had the strength to run after the girl herself. No ship will leave at night, Eddie realized. If he could get to the docks by tonight, he could find her. However, the last stagecoach of the day would be leaving in less than 30 minutes. Eddie picked up his pace. From the back of the ticket queue, he mumbled, Come on, come on, come on. It seemed like forever to make it to the front of the line, and when he finally did, he noticed there was no one behind him. Naturally. May I help you? The ticket agent said. Yes, sir. I'd like one seat on the next coach to Petersburg. Well, it's your lucky day, kid. This is the very last ticket. Eddie perked up with hope. The man handed over a ticket, and Eddie kissed it. He was on his way. And there wasn't a moment to spare. 
Evermore Poe is the historical account of a teenaged Edgar Allan Poe. If you'd like to learn more about Eddie's devolution to become the master of the macabre, please don't forget to follow and share this podcast. Evermore Poe was researched, written, produced, and edited by yours truly, journalist Chris Kosach. I began my research more than a decade ago using vetted journalistic methods with corroborated fact-checking from respected sources including the Library of Congress, periodicals obtained from multiple Poe museums, notable scholars and the National Archives, among other collections, strung together in a narrative style. In other words, my story is mostly true. Our music today is from Esther Abrami. It should be noted that some of the characters in Evermore Poe are composites of real people, including servants and slaves who lived in the Allen home at the time of our story. Please note, while Evermore Poe is based on fact, it should not be confused with the historic record. For that, I hope you will go down your own rabbit hole to research one of the most thrilling American authors of all time. Our story continues again next time on Evermore Poe. Until then, I'm Chris Kosach. Thank you for listening.